You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Fiona King Foster on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book that came out just a couple of days ago. It's called The Captive. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, as... As happens a lot of times when we're talking on the show, a book comes out that we know has been in the works for quite a while, and you know it 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 seems timely. And uh, the captive is one of those books, uh, and I, I know you're going to love it. And you definitely need to have this on your to be read list for sure. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thank you, Hank. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to have you on the show. Um, Fiona, we begin each show with the same question. And mm-hmm. that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, wow. Um, my first memory of my own, um, my parents tell me stories from earlier on, too. But uh, the first thing I remember is um, being a little kid and inspired to write a unicorn story. I think I had probably just seen a unicorn movie. And uh, all I had was loose leaf paper and a pencil, but I was determined that it really be a book. So I, I wrote out my story and I did my illustrations and I taped them together and I bound it up. And, um, I, I kept it for years and years and years. I was, I, I was proud of it and I held on to that. And haven't looked back. Do you, uh, were you a bookish kid? Did, did you read a lot at that point? I did. I read a lot of uh, fantasy as a child and sci fi, and uh, only later got into kind of realist fiction, but always fiction. I've read fiction voraciously my whole life. What was it about fantasy? Uh, do you think that uh, that intrigued you so much? You know, there um, lots of authors that I talk to, and it really doesn't matter what genre they write in now. Um, a lot of folks began with these um, uh, with these fantasy stories. And what do you think it is that that resonates so deeply uh, across genres to to all of us? I think that's an excellent question. Um, I think maybe, I, I know for me, it had everything to do with uh, magic and believing in magic of all kinds and um, wanting that to be true so much, wanting it to be possible to kind of um, morph yourself and morph reality into all kinds of different exciting um, imaginary worlds. Um, and that as you said, has a lot to do with being a writer, whatever genre you end up uh, creating in yourself, that, that desire to be able to enter imaginary worlds. I mean, that's what fantasy is all about. Um, so it makes sense to me that a lot of writers would have that in their, in their roots. Um, and I still do love fantasy. Did um, your, your new book, the captive is an interesting 
story genre wise um can you trace the roots um of of this book to uh maybe other books that you were interested in other writers who who challenged you to think um you know about a a, a dystopian land in some ways uh but uh, you know i it, it were there other authors that that challenged you to think about the future in in new ways uh, yeah, another excellent question. Um, for sure, it, it, it's the question of the, the, whether this is the future or the present um, or the past was an interesting one, writing The Captive, um, because it did, I did end up kind of landing on a near future um, concept. But when I started writing it, it, it wasn't set in the future at all. Um, it was firmly in the here and now. And um, and it still, still feels that way to me. It still feels really, really close to reality, like just a few degrees off. Um, but because I did want to set up this uh, kind of political backdrop, it, it was expedient to set it further on in the future when I could have had all that stuff already happen. Um, but in terms of dystopia, it's, um, dystopia is something I've thought about a lot for years. Um, and I have read a lot of dystopian fiction and a lot of, you know, going way back in kind of literature, utopian fiction too, which is something that really doesn't exist anymore. Um, we've, uh, we've switched to a darker lens, but um, dystopian fiction is something that uh, interests me and that also troubles me. Um, sometimes I worry that dystopian narratives, whether it's in literature or in film, um, you know, where they're even more popular can be a bit of a, it can be a bit too easy, you know, it, it, it it can involve a certain amount of kind of skipping over the the more subtle questions of how how we get along in this world and going straight to you know worst case scenario. Right. So <laughs> I tried not to do that. I tried to I tried to um, tangle with some of the the nitty gritty business of how we get into different kind of futures uh, a little bit more. But think of other writers who. Um, maybe represent two ends on that spectrum to me um, in terms of uh, dystopian future journeys, which this book kind of falls under. Maybe on one hand, you could have um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, where it really is, you know, worst case scenario, let's go straight to, you know, people eating each other in the bush. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, something like uh, Emily St. John Mendel's station 11 where um you could say that the worst has happened but that's not what the book is about the book is really about how people carry on and how about how life continues and how you continue to find meaning in life um whatever it looks like so i may be somewhere in between i think of myself as somewhere in between there uh where there's not a ton of hope in the, the vision of the world that you find in this book um but it, i did want to show these characters um, still very much living a real life, you know, as much as it's in many ways defined by scarcity and lack, um, it's still a real existence. It's not, it's not end times and it's not, um, the apocalypse. It's, it's another way to live. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up a, a really interesting point, um, about, 
the the difference between dystopian fiction and utopian uh, fiction. And and you're absolutely right. There there was a time where utopian fiction, especially in science fiction, for um, and maybe that's just the the forward looking nature um, uh, of science fiction. Uh, but but our lens has changed. And um, do, do you have any thoughts about you know what happened? The switch from from a utopian uh, vision for the future, and you know most fiction now. When we think about the the future, it you know definitely has a, a darker bent. Yeah, um, that's that's probably a question I could spend a decade thinking about. It's a huge <laughs> one. Um, my guess, my instinct is that um, it has to do with uh, fear and um, the there uh, the usefulness of a fear based. <laughs> Um, culture in um, in media in capitalism. Um, you know, I think when people are afraid, they're less creative, they're less collaborative, and um, division is big, big business right now and has been for some time um, politically and economically. I think there's just a huge pressure on people to define themselves by what they're not and uh, what they disagree with. And to me, maybe this seems like a tenuous connection, but to me, um, the, the aspects of dystopian fiction that I question and that I'm not um, totally comfortable with play into that. Uh, they play into that. Um, impulse to be afraid and to think of the worst case scenario and to, um, you know, go straight to, um, the darkest vision of what could happen if, uh, if things don't go the way, you know, your, your team wants them to go. Is right. that, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, you grew up in Canada, uh, in rural Canada. Is that right? Very rural. Yeah. Um, and Something that that uh, especially people in the states don't really think about um, a, a lot is most of Canada is very rural, um, with the mm -hmm. with the exception of a few um, fairly large cities. Um, most of 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 Canada is is just kind of wild, unsettled land. Um, what well, what was it like to grow up in, in a place like that? It was great, to be honest. Um, it was. Uh... I had a lot of freedom um, to roam and to figure things out for myself. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. I, I don't live there now. I do live in a big city uh, and I'm raising my kids in a big city, which is um, very, very stark contrast to how I grew up and uh, comes with a different set of challenges. But um, growing up where I did, uh, which is the kind of northeast of Ontario, um, was uh, I think you know what you find in the captive and um, not uncritically is uh, a connection between living rurally and thinking critically of yeah. um, kind of mainstream ideology um, and that has a real dark side as we're seeing 
now and um it has some really good things about it too i i think a lot of a lot of people on the fringe are drawn to living rurally um if they aren't just born there a lot of people who choose to live rurally who go to rural environments which is what my parents did um do that because they they want to do their own thing and um for a writer you know i that's a terrific kind of um background i think because i really uh i did have to think for myself and i did have to do for myself and um create my own vision of the world before I had a lot of contact <laughs> with the world. Um, and I value that. I, 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 I think it's maybe unusual. Well, certainly, you know, in terms of demographics, it's unusual. Most people don't grow up that way, but um, it's, it's given me a lot um, that I, that I, that matters to me. Yeah. And it's a, um... It, it's it's interesting to see um, a book that doesn't necessarily make a value judgment on rural life versus um, uh, city life, if if you want to put it that way, or um, because there there are there are good and bad aspects to that. You know, your critical thinking when you're all alone and you don't have the benefits of society. Um, that that solves certain problems kind of naturally. Um, th- there uh, there are very good things that come out of that. There's also something to be said about you know isolationism and and you know we could we could think about uh, that as well. Um, but but you're not really making a value judgment on this. It's uh, you're showing kind of all sides of of what happens. Um, w- was that a conscious uh, effort on your part? Uh, you know, uh, obviously. You grew up in a very rural place and and you have fond memories of that. Um, Mm. But was this something that you were thinking about in writing this? Very much. And, you know, and if anything, in retrospect, I wish that I had maybe even explored that more. Um, But, yeah, I I hope I'm not making a value judgment. I'm really not trying to um, in terms of the the way that people choose to live. I did, I, I feel like I have a foot in both worlds because I, I grew up there uh, and I know how it looked from there, um, good and bad. Yeah, and we should, you know, probably talk about the bad too, but. Um, sure. And I, and I live here now and, and I, so I kind of have this dual perspective. Um, I live in, a, in an environment now and in a, social circle in a, in a world now where um, I hear how my peers um, in the city think of the people I grew up with and how they talk about them and the assumptions that get made. And I, I hear it from the other side too. When I'm home, um, I understand very clearly the assumptions that get made um, about people who live the way I do now. So all to say, um, I can't make a value judgment. I just like, you know, I'm both things. And, right. um, I, what I wish is that, um, we could let go of some of those assumptions sure. about, um, you know, what people's values are based on where they live. Um, and 
it, it would, I just think that we'd be in a whole world less of trouble right now if we could um, disconnect these bodies of assumptions about who people are and how they've got to vote and uh, how they live and what they think of one another. Um, sure not helping us. This, right. Uh, this kind of polarization. So all to say, um, yeah, I wanted to show people living in a way that is easy to see as dystopia uh, and does have some really problematic things in terms of the, the politics going on in the countryside right now in Canada as well. Um, but, you know, to point out that th those are still lives, those are still people and they're not just stereotypes. And um, right. there's. What can I say? I think uh, there's a lot of um, unspoken class politics that goes into when city people and country people talk about each other. And, <laughs> <You're right>. uh, <laughs> and um, I, I'd like to, I'd like to pick that back a bit and, and try and see the, the human beings on the other side of the fence. Yeah. I, I think we would, we would all be served uh, better by, by trying to to look at the people that um that are involved and, and affected uh because we're we're still talking about people we're just we just have a different outlook sometimes yeah um so fiona as as a person who um knew from a very young age that you wanted to be a writer um you know but this this funny thing happens along the way um, we start building our lives and, uh, you know, raising a family, working uh, a job to, to pay bills that come along with all of that stuff. Um, but invariably, uh, somewhere along the way, um, this, this writing gene kicks in again and, and starts tugging at you. And, you know, there's a, a story idea that creeps up that just won't let you go. Um, how mm -hmm. did that happen for you? Uh, and, and is The Captive your first book that you've written, or uh, are there desk drawer novels out there? <laughs> oh, there are desk drawer novels, yeah. <laughs> as, as with most people. It's in the bottom of the drawer. Um, yeah, I've always written. I, I, I never really stopped, although I did, I did definitely at points give up um, hope or expectation of ever putting a book out there. Um, and then this one just... Honestly, it was like a bolt out of the blue. It just kind of took me by storm. Um, I was, uh, it was not a good time to write a book. I was really busy. I <laughs> had a baby and a toddler and I was working and, you know, it was, it was, the world was in flames. But um, I just had this idea and um, it was completely different, I should say, than anything I had tried to write before. Um, it, it was much uh, more, uh, plot driven and, um, propulsive, uh, and actiony <laughs> than anything I tried to write before. And I was just totally taken over by it. I, um, the first scene I wrote was, uh, you know, not giving too much away, but a, a fight scene that occurs very early on in, in the, in chapter one. Um, I just, that was the first, I sat down and wrote that scene and it, I'm pretty much hasn't changed. Um, and I just, it just took off from there. I don't know. I just wanted to follow this journey and this adventure. And I was excited about writing it down and finding out what would happen. And that just 
carried me through somehow in a way that uh, hadn't happened before. So um, I'm I'm fascinated by the beginnings of things and and how um, a book comes to be. Um, you know, because you're holding this this finished novel in your hand and it's you know 400 ish pages roughly, and it's uh, full of characters who live lives and and uh, and and scenarios that we just get lost in and, and feel like that we have uh, you know gone on a journey uh, with the author. And, you know, in the beginning, there's nothing there, but the, the spark of an idea creates all of this. What was that spark, that first inkling, the first kernel of an idea that uh, that bloomed this book? You know, I wish I could remember exactly what um, the piece was. There was a there was a news piece that I read somewhere and I can I've not been able to track it back down. It was kind of a nothing little mention in a in a newspaper or something anyways about uh, a citizen's arrest um about a situation in which you know a regular person living their regular life had to um take another person captive and um i was instantly just consumed with how interesting that was to me as a as a setup as a as a social circumstance to find yourself in not just this i mean on, on one hand the logistics of like how how do you physically if you're not trained to do this and you're not equipped to do this how physically do you contain another person um if, you know in 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 the case of needing to do that and then also interpersonally how weird would that be it's so completely different to how we're used to moving through the world um so I started thinking of it from the character's point of view, from that 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 news piece that that grabbed my attention was really about how my character would would deal with that situation. And then, you know, it didn't take long for my brain to start connecting that circumstance with, well, you know, what does citizens arrest or, you know, people taking one another captive or trying to do justice? on their own what does that make me think of well it makes me think of this whole world of um kind of outsider justice and um and political rebellion basically um so that kind of that inciting incident really led me to the background world that the that the book would take place in as kind of an echo of that does that make sense Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, did, did the, did the characters, uh, start coming to you or did the, the, the world building scenario, uh, come to you kind of the, the state of the world? Was it, uh, did you get the, the state of the world and then characters populated that, or did you have a character and then, uh, and, and then the world came up around her? Um, to some extent, they came together. Uh, I, yeah. I, I would, if I picture it as like kind of, I started with this pinhole view of Brooke in this situation, in this moment. And it, and it just slowly widened out from there. Like, okay, there's her farm, there's her family, there's the countryside, there's the world they're in. It, 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 it grew very organically along with her 
I mean, she's a pretty opaque character too. I, I did have a strong sense of her and what she would do, but you know, she's not for all that the situation she's in is kind of fraught and complicated. She's herself not a very complicated person. Um, so she was almost like a feature of the landscape to me. Um, and they, and so they kind of came together. So, um, describe for people what, what's going on in the world where, when the book opens kind of what's the state of the world. So the premise of the world is that, um, 30 years before the beginning of this story, there's been a revolt and some part of this unnamed nation, uh, the rural part has seceded, has politically seceded to form an independent state. Um, in fairly short order, that independent state went bankrupt and fell apart. So we're, we find ourselves in this basically ungoverned territory. Um, which is easy to track against kind of old timey Westerns if, if you want to yeah, picture yeah. kind of the way the politics work. But in this case, it's post. Everything's uh, post very time. local at that point, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes very local. And this book has been described as a rural noir, which I really love um, because noir historically is about, um, you know, corruption and moral ambiguity and, um, sure those kinds of real shades of shades of gray shades of noir. Um, but rural noir has got to be about hyper local, um, concerns. So those two things kind of come together. So Brooke, uh, our hero is, um, a, kind of a child of that revolution. Um, but really, uh, kind of, she's not an adherent to, um, any kind of particular political ideology herself other than what she grew up believing um and she's really just trying to get by with her with her partner and their kids and um that's what most people in her world are trying to do uh, and we never see this this city that's referred to as the kind of the, the world and the government that they have left behind but it's always there it's, you know mentioned um as kind of the polar opposite to this life and and um just one that she's not particularly interested in. It's not, it's not a, an opposition so much for her. She, she's not herself a revolutionary. She's just, this is, this is her world. This is where she lives and it's where her uh, loyalties lie. So we've, we've mentioned her a bit, but um, tell me about the character of Brooke Holland. Um, what was it about her um, that fascinated you and that, uh, that made you want to, to find out more about her as you wrote her story? Uh, well, she's just, um, she's tough as nails, this woman. She's unreal. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's what kept astonishing me, is just how hard she is and how, how rough and um, kind of like capable to an extreme she is. And that um, appealed to me at the time that I started writing the book, I, I was very drawn to this idea of someone who just like was unbeatable, you know, like bulletproof. And um, then, of course, as I as I carried on through various drafts of the novel and got to know her a bit better, I started to question where that toughness would come from and what you would have to go through to to have a skin that thick and to make those 
brutal choices that she does make. Um, and, and she, she got a bit, a bit more complicated than just a, a superwoman. Yeah. So, so life is hard enough for Brooke and her family, uh, her, her husband, her, her two daughters, um, thing, things are bad enough from, from the, 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 the world that you created for them. And then you have to drop Stephen Cawley, um, <laughs> on them. Uh, what, uh, tell me a little bit about him and, and how he comes into the story and what, what were you thinking when, when he came in? You know, oh, he's probably the character who changed the most um, in the revising this book. It, you know, in the first draft, he was a straight up, unambiguous villain, um, just a just a pure force of menace and um, terror. And uh, he ended up like, I, I, and I don't think this is a spoiler in any way, but uh, it's pretty obvious, I think, from early on in the book. But he ended up be, being almost like a counterpart to Brooke. Like they're they're not that different. You know, they they come from a similar place and um, they've been through similar things and they just, you know, took different paths. So I ended up feeling really sorry for him and uh, having a lot of um, a lot of compassion for why he's such a messed up. Um, messed up guy, but he is as well. You know, he's like, horrible and he does horrible things in this book and uh couldn't really redeem him, but um, did end up having a certain amount of sympathy for him. What was uh, what was your favorite uh, part to write in this book? And, and you know, don't give away any spoilers. Um, <laughs> but uh, at what point in this book were you the most energized, and the story just came alive to you? Oh, absolutely. The action sequences. I just like they wrote themselves. It was so much fun. And I had no idea that I'd never I'd never written action before. Um, and uh, I I just couldn't get enough of it. It's all I wanted to do. <laughs> Love it. Well, the book is The Captive and it is out available everywhere now. Um, however, you like to consume books, whether you like to hold the paper in your hand or uh you know, on your Kindle and also an audiobook. Uh, I'm looking forward to the to the audiobook uh, release of this. I, I know that uh, when we're recording this, it's not out um, just yet. But you know, after reading the the pre-release PDF, I, I really can't wait to hear this come alive in audio. Yeah, Courtney Patterson did a fantastic job on the audiobook. Really, really great. Love it. Well, we're going to put links uh, to where you can get all of the different formats of the book in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Fiona, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Um, my website is FionaKingFoster.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and uh, love to hear from readers. Absolutely. We'll put links to your website uh, in the show notes as well. The Captive, the brand new book by Fiona King Foster is out everywhere now. Go grab a copy of this book. You won't regret it. I promise. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today, Fiona. Thank you, Hank. I appreciate it so much. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. 
Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one -on -one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden cost, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com